Hi, and welcome to the latest edition of China Inc. by Bamboo Works, where we discuss the latest business and financial news from China and what it all means. I'm Doug Young, Bamboo Works editor in chief, and I'm joined today by Renee Vangostein, one of our founding partners, who's also a longtime China watcher from an investment banking background. Today we'll take a look at the latest GDP numbers as well as China's booming car exports. We'll start off with with GDP.、Um, so after going absent for a week when it was supposed to originally be announced, China's finally come out and announced that its GDP grew about 3.9 percent in the third quarter. Now, just to give everybody some perspective, the 3.9 percent was actually a big improvement over the second quarter. When GDP grew only 0.4 percent, but this is still well below what China needs to do, which is basically get up probably above five six percent to meet its 2022 target for GDP growth of 5.5 percent. So at the rate we're going, it it does certainly look like this is going to be their first miss on on、uh, their GDP target in in recent memory. So Renee.、Uh, Morgan Stanley has actually come out since since they announced these numbers and and said China is not going to grow beyond five percent for at least the the next three years through 2024, and they're sort of basing that on the assumption that China's going to continue its、uh, strict COVID control measures in one way or another.、Um, how do you see that? Do you, do you, do you agree with that view? Yeah, I would agree with with the view. I would not venture to、uh, forecast a specific number, but when we look at what has happened so far in 2022,、um, and projecting that going forward, as Morgan Stanley said, with the assumption that COVID zero is going to continue. Pretty closely to what we have seen、uh, over the past few years,、um, I think that that's a reasonable expectations.、Um, you mentioned、uh, yourself that GDP grew、um, very, very、uh, slowly in the second quarter,、uh, bounced back in、uh, the third quarter. Well, as we know, the second quarter. Was heavily impacted by、uh, what happened in Shanghai, in particular,、um, where you had lockdowns for two months,、uh, mm-hmm. at least as far as most people were concerned, and inevitably had an impact on、uh, manufacturing, as there's quite a manufacturing base、uh, there and in the region. So、um, that should not be a surprise. I would expect、um, GDP to obviously grow faster a bit in Q4, especially because of、um, the stimulus、uh, packages, particularly impacting、um, uh, man- uh, impacting infrastructure. Sorry, but I would not expect them to uh, uh, grow bigger than or reach their target. Right, right. It looks like the 5.5 percent target. I, I imagine, has probably been、uh, laid on the,、uh, the the scrap heap for right now.、Um, well, I guess we'll start to see some people putting out revised full year estimates soon.、Um, so, having said that, I mean China, you know, is used to double digit GDP growth.、Uh, in the last few years, it's come down to. You know, seven, eight percent, five point five percent is probably the lowest level it's been in in twenty years or so.、Um, do you 
think that China will ever be able to, you know, return to these 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 glory days of of seven percent or you know even double digit GDP growth anytime soon or or ever? Ever, I don't know. It's ever is always very hard to predict, and I will leave that to people who think that they can figure out the future two, three years down the road. But uh, soon, I would uh, not expect that soon. As we all know, there are quite a number of um, pretty serious issues that currently impact growth in China. You've mentioned and we've talked about COVID zero, but that's only one of them. Then you have the crisis in the real estate sector, which you know is a major contributor to um, to uh, GDP in China and has been for a long, long time. Uh, you have issues such as uh, youth uh, unemployment, in particular. And generally speaking, uh, the feeling that for a lot of people that their future in terms of employment is not necessarily well uh, assured, unless maybe they work for the state sector. Uh, and I think that that's causing, uh, all these issues are causing a major uh, change in attitude on the consumer side, with a lot of people not spending the way they used to and trying to save as much money as they can because there are just so many uncertainties as far as the future is concerned, whether it's employment, whether it's healthcare, uh, whether it's pensions and, and all of that. So um, I think that that's going to play out for a while. This being said, China has demonstrated again and again that through infrastructure investments in particular, it has the ability to jack up GDP. So we'll see. <laughs> right. But to jack it up to double digits would certainly be pretty, pretty difficult. I'm, I'm curious, uh, do you think that China has maybe entered a, a new phase? I mean, you don't see those kinds of figures ever coming out of sort of more mature Western economies or really even out of, you know, Taiwan, South Korea, Japan, for sure. I mean, is China just entering another growth phase where, you know, 5% or less is going to be the norm? Well, that is an argument that uh, has been made by, um, obviously, a lot of people that uh, eventually at some point in time, as the uh, economy develops, as the country develops, uh, the pace of growth has to slow down or slows down inevitably. And uh, that China, after 40 years, pretty much, of uh, economic development and growth, uh, has actually kind of reached that plateau where, um, you know, the economy is still growing, uh, but in percentage term, it's not growing as fast anymore, even if in absolute term, it is, it is growing. So, yeah, I think, that, uh, I think that we are at that level uh, today. It has happened to every development country that has made it to the stage more or less of developed countries. So there's really no reason why this should not uh, impact China similarly. Um, the question, obviously, is more a matter of timing as opposed to whether it, it would happen, has happened, will happen. Um, right. and, um, and China has an ability that lots of other countries didn't have. If you look at 
Japan, Korea, and so on, South Korea, um, which is to have has a much better control over the economy in general, particularly through uh, the state sector. So, mm. um, yeah, I think that uh, if it's not today, it's probably not very far down the road, uh, but it will still continue to grow. And then you have the geopolitical issues, obviously, that everybody is uh, increasingly concerned about. So there's a bit of uncertainty there that that may model um, any prediction anyhow. Right. Lots of uh, factors at play there. All right. Well, let's shift gears a bit, uh, so, to, so to speak, uh, and we're, we're going to move into the subject of car exports. Um, now, you know, we all know that China's always been, uh, or not always, but in the last 20 years, it's, it's become quite the export powerhouse. Uh, but, you know, most of what China exports is sort of everyday goods like, uh, you know, furniture, toys and so forth. Um, now it looks like China may be becoming a major car exporter. Uh, if we look at the uh, new data from the first three quarters of this year, uh, China's car exports actually rose 51%. And we're not talking little numbers here. It rose to 2.26 million vehicles. Um, notably, uh, about a third of that was uh, NEVs or new energy vehicles. And a big chunk of uh, pretty much all of it was coming from domestic names like BYD and, and Cherry, although uh, Tesla was also on the list. Um, so, you know, this is sort of a new thing we've, we're seeing coming from China. Uh, do you think this is like a, a new norm? Is, is China going to be able to maintain this kind of car exports? Yeah, I, I don't see why not. Um, you know, if you go back 40 years, 50 years, uh, and you look at it from the perspective of being in the West, uh, first we saw Japanese cars coming to market, uh, later on uh, South Korean cars coming to market. Uh, in the early days, there were um, always some concerns about whether the quality would be there. The price certainly was pretty good. Uh, there was backlash uh, from, uh, you know, employment issue uh, standpoint. But over time, uh, they, you know, both the Japanese and the South Koreans kept developing uh, models, quality models, reliable models, and so on. And as we all know, uh, they ended up taking a pretty sizable share of the market, both in the U.S. as well as in Europe, to just talk about the Western world. So I don't see why um, Chinese companies would not be able to do the same as long as um, quality is there, price advantage probably will be there to some extent, especially if we look at EVs, and reliability. Service is very important, but we also all know that when it comes to EV, there is less to service than in an internal combustion engine car. So, mm. yeah, I think that uh, I think the future looks pretty good for them. Once again, geopolitics aside. Hmm. Okay, so we can uh, look forward to seeing Cherry and BYD cars on the on the road in the U.S. Um, you know what? Uh, you mentioned NEVs, um, and NEVs were a big part of the the picture. And, and China is obviously very, very strongly promoting NEVs. I mean, to what extent do you think NEVs are are driving 
the, this this export growth and and do you see that as a, a sustainable thing I mean at some point Western countries are going to say hey we need to step up our NEV game as well and, and you know is that going to hurt the Chinese well look I think that I think that uh, European and US manufacturers have been working on stepping up their EV productions number one number two um, I think if you look at the government action and so on uh, the European economic community has just announced that um, after 2035 there will be no ICE cars uh, sold in Europe I expect something similar is going to happen in the US as well California is leading the charge on that so inevitably it's going to go across the country um, so there's, there's um, I mean when you look at EVs in the U.S. in particular and in Europe to some extent, the major setback in the U.S. at least is price, um, as well as, as uh, politics to some extent. But um, I would expect that the Chinese cars will come with a price advantage, as you know has been the case with solar modules and, and everything that has come <laughs> out of China. Um, right. So then it will, be, it will be down to just a few things, design, Will design be appealing to uh, Western uh, consumers um, in addition to price reliability? But we also know that seemingly at least EVs are much more reliable, they require less maintenance, and therefore servicing is less of an issue going forward, in my opinion, than it was when the Japanese and the South Koreans came in with traditional engines. Um, so um, I would say, once again, geopolitics aside, I would say, uh, why not? It's, uh, it's, in my opinion, very likely uh, to happen. Even on the side of geopolitics, I don't think that there's going to be a lot of barriers uh, against Chinese cars because, you know, you've got American and European car manufacturers producing and selling in China and so on, you know, pretty, pretty freely. So China is obviously going to expect the rest of the world to reciprocate on that. And I think that basically would be fair. Right, right. Now that makes sense. Actually, and the thing you said about service also makes sense because it, it takes a lot of money and effort to set up a, you know, a national after, after sales service network. And I guess that'll be a lot cheaper for the Chinese since these cars don't yeah. require as much service. Right, but I mean, even on the sales side, I mean, Tesla has demonstrated that you can sell cars in the U.S., and I would think to in other parts of the world as well, without having a dealership network. So right. for anybody who is going to come in with EVs and is going to set up, let's say, let's call it set up business in the U.S. or in Europe and so on to sell EVs, um, unless there are local rules and regulations that force them to use a dealership network, um, it's going to be fairly easy um, to sell. And once again, I think it's going to come back to price, design, look, whatever, reliability, quality overall. Mm -hmm. So I would expect that in the beginning, there'll be a bit of reluctance. 
but over time, if if they are reliable, if they have a price advantage and so on, uh, you know, the price of an EV in the U.S. today is usually at least 50,000 U.S. dollars. Not many people, I mean, lots of people who cannot afford that. So I think it's, uh, I, I think we will see um, Chinese EVs uh, doing well in the U.S. as long as they protect quality and reliability. Okay, well, that's very interesting. Uh, we'll have to wait and see if the Chinese EV makers can, or, you know, if they're really up to up to the game and can deliver some good quality that Western buyers will appreciate. So... Thank you, everybody, for joining us this week. In our next program, we'll take a look at financial high-flyer Fosun, which appears to be headed for some debt turbulence. And we'll also be looking at an online dust-up involving sportswear giant and Olympic gold medalist Leaning, which has become the latest victim of an attack from online nationalists. Good story there. Hope to see everybody then, and uh, goodbye for now. Thanks, Renee. Sure. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you all.